we have, of course, one of our favorite anarchists. I, and I don't, I don't know if I know that many anarchists that are more popular than him. But <laughs> anyway, one of my favorite anarchists, Stefan Molino. Welcome in. Hi, uh, it's uh, and nice to be introduced as everybody's favorite anarchist. I really feel that's the taller than Mickey Rooney contest, or more with the cocoa butter than George Hamilton's tan. So, uh, I, I, but I'll take my compliments where I can. So, thank you. So I heard you're going to be speaking uh, in New York City soon. Yes, yes, that's right. Anarchy in the New York City. That's going to be, um, I think, April 21st. So that's going to be. I'm speaking at 6:30, and so I'm looking forward to that a lot. I was there last year. Uh, for a speech in New York, and uh, I mean, you know, it's the city of pulsing Apple-based energy. I mean, you, you can't really get a better venue than that. So, I mean, hopefully the year after it's Carnegie Hall, but uh, I think the venue is yet to be determined. Well, why don't why aren't there any other really good venues up in your neck of the woods? And uh, you're in Mon uh, Montreal area, right? No, I actually live outside of Toronto, and I would assume that there's not a lot of openings for anarchists here in Canada. Because Canada was founded on the principle of peace, order, and good government. Uh, and uh, this is, of course, so many uh, oxymorons stuffed into one sentence that it turns your brain into a self-twisting Gordian knot. But uh, it, it is not, uh, they are not so much with the voluntarism up here. You know, America was a, a fiery rebellion against all kinds of um, tyranny. And, uh, I mean, we still have the queen on our money. We have, we have a bit of a ways to go to break out of the statrix. Absolutely. Is it just me, or does it seem like the United States, and especially New York City? New York City must make more laws than all of Canada, because I never hear crazy laws coming out of Canada. Oh, we have some. Yeah, see, the thing is, we, we, we finished them all, so uh, <laughs> there's nothing more really to do. Well, actually, no, I should say that. I think there's two things that have given us some hope recently, I guess, in the last little while. I mean, the first is that... In the 90s, Canada, like, really cut government. I mean, they were paying 40 cents on the dollar for just on interest payments on the debt. I mean, it was truly nutty. And we had some, you know, liberals. They're kind of like left or center. They'd be like the liberals in the U.S., I guess. Uh, we have some outright semi-Marxists called the NDP. But the liberals actually did do some semi-decent stuff with the economy. And so Canada's kind of got a little bit of backdoor capitalism coming in. We didn't do a huge bailout, and we didn't do massive stimulus spending in the last recession. Our bank sector came through fine. So there has been some serious cuts to Canadian government, like not just cuts in the rate of growth like America pretends to have, but like real cuts, 20 30% in certain places. And then also I think they recently just decommissioned this um, – uh, this commission, maybe our fine Canadian co-host knows more about this, but there was a commission that investigated hate crimes in Canada that had a truly Soviet-style 100% conviction rate. And uh, they started going after, I think, Mark Stein from McLean's magazine and so on. And uh, people put up a pretty bitter fight, and this thing was discontinued. So, uh, you know, little bits of progress here and there. but um, uh, and, and, you know, we're a tad less imperialistic. Would Toronto put up with somebody like Mayor Bloomberg in New York? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of liberals in New York, right? Uh, it's a lot of lefties in New York. And so there is, of course, this idea that you can correct weird and bad and problematic human behavior with laws. It's one of the oldest illusions uh, of, of mankind, that if there's something you disagree with, you know that old thing, there ought to be a law. <laughs> well, 
no, there shouldn't. <laughs> you know, this is this, it's this knee-jerk reaction with emphasis on jerk. It's knee-jerk reaction that people have. If there's a problem, well, we need to pass a law. And it's magical thinking. It's completely magical thinking. It's like, if there's no rain, I need to put on this weird headdress and do a funny dance like, you know, the Pope getting zapped. Uh, it's just this weird magical thinking that people do. It has no cause and effect on actual human behavior. Laws almost inevitably make, make people worse. We have one kid that, uh, and, I did, and I do this. I, I didn't even think about it. Uh, I, I, I bought some organic, uh, believe it or not, they have an organic Pop-Tart type of, of product. Uh, Nature's Path makes it, so I bought some last night with my wife, I, and I ate it, and I ate it exactly like how that kid that got uh, uh, suspended. Yeah, and I wasn't even thinking about it. <laughs> so, yeah, you so, put yourself in the place of that. I just can't believe that Maryland has to pass laws to not arrest kids and, and not suspend kids for, for pointing their finger and thumb at somebody or for for eating a Pop-Tart that looks like the shape of a gun. I mean, is that, uh, I, I don't know if you guys put up with that in Canada. I'm, I'm embarrassed here that we have to have laws that, that stop the arrest of kids that are six years old and eating Pop-Tarts, and, and if you take a look at it, it looks like the shape of a gun. Yeah, that's just beyond reason, absolutely beyond reason. I can't see that but happening. But America we is little... prone to these kinds of uh... – sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say to finish it off is like when our little kids have the toy guns, what they did was they make sure they put red on it so that, yeah, the police officer wasn't confused. But really, what six-year-old is going to have a gun and point it at a police officer that he's going to feel threatened to shoot back, you know? But then again, you've got the adult that's going to take that toy gun and because it looks so real, intimidate somebody else. And then this is where we ended up with the situation of these ridiculous laws. But it's not a matter of make a law to change the person. It should be more along, let's explain why you shouldn't do this again because of. That would be a more productive way to inform somebody and change their line of thinking instead of demanding that you don't do this because I said scenario. That's where the rebellion comes in because I think that's how the human mind works. But that's just my opinion. Well, it's the intersection of two forms of hysteria in the United States. Uh, in the United States, one is uh, anti-gun and one is anti-junk food, right? So you put junk food in the shape of a gun and you've got the defector or whatever it would be called. I mean, arguably, you could say that Pop-Tarts probably kill more Americans than guns do, given the waistlines that I've seen lately. So, uh, And America is kind of prone to this hysteria, right? I mean, it's so weird in America. There's these continual hysterical reactions to, you know, large sodas, to, to uh, gun replicas, to, to shoes on airplanes, all this kind of stuff, just mad hysteria. And yet, and yet when you actually have a real problem, like massive amounts of communists in the State Department, uh, McCarthy is termed just some crazy guy on a witch hunt. I mean, no, no, that wasn't a witch hunt. There really were lots of Soviet agents in the State Department advising uh, at the Yalta Conference and so on. And this is one of the reasons America lost uh, uh, Eastern Europe for 70 years or, or 50 years. And so when there's a real problem, it, it gets turned into an imaginary problem. Uh, but when there's an imaginary problem, it gets turned into a real problem. Yeah, total delusion and uh, sidetracking from real issues. And I thought it was the only one that noticed that. I'm glad you brought that up and well explained because, yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> well, everybody talks about violence in American schools, although the number of, of shootings in American schools is actually going down. 
And the biggest mass killing in America, I think, was in the 20s. Uh, and uh, it was a, um, a bomb that was used by some disgruntled janitor. Yeah, and and so I mean these these things have been declining, but people talk about violence in the schools, but the schools are coercion. The schools are coercive. The parents are forced to pay, the kids are forced to be there, and so it's sort of like look going to a first world war trench and saying, "Hey, hey, someone got a sliver." Like that's the only thing, you know, body parts flying all around, kids being blown up to the sky and and so on. And oh, look, there's a sliver and everyone focuses on that and misses the entire picture of the carnage going on around. That's such a good example. I have a situation where, remember when no bullying was, was being instigated in schools or initiated in schools back in, oh, 98 or whatever, no bullies? I was so excited by that. I thought, no bullying? They're going to fire all the teachers and the principals. Yay! Not a big great. Oh, yeah, I have stories there too. But anyway, I was on the, the parent board there and I had we were discussing about the no bully and how we were going to enforce it and what we should do. And then the following week, my daughter gets bullied. And the bully had attacked her with, you know, those clicking pencils where you click it and the lead comes out? Well, he went to stab her in the face with the thing. She managed to turn her head and he got her in the ear. Now, the problem was yes. this was a chief of police officer's son. And they did absolutely nothing to reprimand that son. I had to take my daughter to the nurse the next day to get the lead removed from her ear. And then when I went back to the school, that kid was still sitting on that desk looking at me with the biggest smile on his face. And I was disgusted, appalled, because we had just talked about the no bullying. So when you're talking about the big picture... Like, oh, my God, we just spent, like, two hours discussing that, all the parents, and then here's this kid who did the most terrible thing he could have done in the playground to a grade sixer, and just because he's chief of police kid, he doesn't qualify? There was some, And you, the worst part, this is a one-room school with 12 kids, okay? Uh-huh. That's right. And you want to know what the reason was that they didn't take out this kid? Or, or suspend them was because they get money for the kids that are there. If he got suspended, they would have lost money because the mother threatened if we suspended her son, she was going to take out her other two. This is a school with 12 kids. That would have just totally hurt. So I said, no problem. I took my child out of that one-room school, and I made arrangements because my sister-in-law at that time was chief of the reserve out there, and my daughter went to a reserve school for a year, and she got a better education there than she did in the school that I was at at the time. And I'm like, wow, what a huge difference in policy. You say one thing, you do another thing, and when it comes right down to the actual action, something that severe that happened, and you, nobody moved on it. And I called the, the Board of Education. I called whoever was in charge at the Northeast District Board, and all I was told was, well, you know, she's got three kids in our system, and if she takes her kids out, it's going to close the school. Well, the cl- the school closed anyways. They're sending those kids to another city to go to school now, so it wouldn't have mattered. But the idea was you set this policy in place to take care of a huge issue, and then when it comes right down and you're confronted with it in your face, you did nothing but make it the family's fault. And make it a hardship for the family. It was terrible, absolutely terrible. And I see it still happens. Yeah, I mean that's that's more than bullying. I mean that's that's outright assault. I mean like 
bullying is like mean words and texts and like this is i mean they could lose an eye i mean that's terrifying but but teachers they can't i mean they can't really in the current system take take it on because i mean the reality is that the children who are bullying other children if a teacher tries to deal with that we all know where that's going to lead that's going to lead to bullying parents i mean kids don't just pick up bullying because they watch a tv or, or or they play a video game i mean bullying is something that is driven deep into the bone marrow of a children's mind by the actions of the parent uh, or parents or environments and so if you start following that rabbit hole and it leads to the parents then the, the teacher is like well i can't kick the kid out uh, i can't do anything about the parents but all i'm going to do is keep poking sticks into this you know, parent den of iniquity until they start coming after me and launching complaints about me. So uh, it's really not worth it for anyone. And as usual, the children get sacrificed for the sake of the convenience of the adults. Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. A vicious, vicious cycle. And that, I think, is conditioning, too, of the system itself because it's degraded so much over time. It's it's just unbelievable how much the change is. And these are professionals that should really know how a child's mind works because we're molding and developing these minds to be a bonus to our society, not a burden. And well, yeah, are... but uh, look at how some people take care of rules, though. And, and this is, exactly. and uh, I'll be honest, five years ago if someone said that uh, that I'd be interested in anarchy, I, I would have laughed at them. But now uh, the more stupid laws I see, the, the more I'm interested. Yeah. And case in point, there was a school last week where, and I covered the story, there were three different gang members that brought guns into schools. So as a way to stop the guns being brought into school, they decided the next day they were going to institute a a stricter dress code, uh, meaning that there's no more V-neck t- uh, shirts. Uh, you can wear any color jeans except for blue and your thong sandals have to have a strap a- around your ankle. That That's what they did to stop these uh, these gangs. Because, you know, all the cool gangs are wearing blue jeans and V-neck shirts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Wow. That was an interesting concept. Kind of changes uh, how you would think on things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, I mean, that, that's that, not even going to stop passion crime. I just don't understand how people think that, that, is, that that's going to stop all the gangs now. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I couldn't even answer that. I don't even have on, an answer does, for does that. Canada act like this? No. Uh, uh, no. Yeah, well, yes and yeah, no. I mean, depends look, where I mean, you are. So, like in the deep cities, they're closer to the state side, like Sarnia and those other cities, state side cities. I would think there's a little bit of infiltration because there's always reputation and someone's trying to be tougher and if you're close to a situation you can i don't know kind of learn these things from from stuff but i don't think it's as bad in canada as it is in the states from what we we read we see it just makes you think but uh i couldn't outright say that because toronto has some really freaky stuff happening down there as well and i'm sure other cities do as well that we probably just don't hear about but mainstream media, you know, they got to focus on certain things to make some things look bad and some things not look bad and glorify other things that should not be glorified. You know how it works. All right, now let, let's get Stefan's point of view here. <laughs> on crazy stuff that goes on in, in Canada versus the U.S.? We have, I mean, yeah, we have our own fetishes, of course, right? But the one thing that we don't have is the need to justify the empire. And that, I think, is 
pretty significant. Uh, so Canada doesn't have the same, you know, glory, glory bloodlust that has to go on in the uh, in the United States. And that that's a huge difference, a huge difference in the culture as a whole. So, I mean, Canada has its fetishes around, uh, you know, this this terrible socialized healthcare system that goes on up here. You know, our little slice of communism in the West in the 21st century. And so we have all that kind of stuff. And there is still a little bit of fetish, fetishizing about, you know, how would kids get educated if the government doesn't educate them? But, I mean, the statistics are just so appalling now that that argument is falling by the wayside. I mean, 80% plus of New York kids graduate from high school, and I use the word graduate extremely loosely, without the ability to read. I mean, without the ability to read, my four-year-old daughter can make out about 20 words. There was a player back 25 years ago named Dexter Manley. I don't know if you remember him. He played for the Redskins. Uh, after four or five years in the, in the National Football League, he admitted to everybody he couldn't read or write. I remember that. Mm. But he graduated college with a degree. Yeah, yeah. That was a while ago. I do remember that proof. Yes, I remember that story. I don't remember all the particulars. I remember the name and football and because he didn't know how to read. That's what caught my attention. My brother can't read well. So, yeah, I really I stuck with that. Tell us more about that story. Well, they, uh, I mean, they, it's, it's terrible that this happens in the U.K. as well. In the U.K., uh, a mall opened up. Uh, in some low-rent uh, area, and they found they had to, even with high school graduates, even with a few people in college, they had to give them remedial courses on how to fill out applications and things like that. Uh, and so you don't hear some of the stuff is falling away from the, you know, the arguments that I've been having for 30 years uh, about uh, freedom versus coercion. A lot of that stuff is kind of falling away, right? So as the government has got more and more involved in healthcare, uh, people's health has generally declined, right? And and you can't talk about any of this stuff. I mean, they have this ridiculous stuff like banning big gulp drinks and stuff like that. I mean, boy, you never want to take something that a teenager is hard to find and uh, that's easy to find. Ban it is going to raise the cool factor of that so enormously. It's going to have completely the opposite effect. It's like, instead of a 32-ounce, I can drink a 64-ounce. I'm going to strap a catheter to my low-hugging, my low-hip-hugging jeans and walk around because I'm that cool. So, I mean, that stuff is just ridiculous. And you can't talk about it. I mean, it's the breakdown in the family that's causing childhood obesity. I mean, this is pretty statistically correlated, right? Where, where dads are absent, uh, children tend to be fatter. I mean, so this massive social breakdown of the family that's occurred over the last 40 years uh, is the cause of so much of the crime and so much of the dysfunction, so much of the obesity, so many of the problems that are occurring in society. And it's the one thing you you can't talk about. I mean, you simply can't talk about it. I guess ever since um, Candace Bergen skewered Dan Quayle about 15 years ago on the episode of Murphy Brown where he criticized the fictional character's decision to have a baby outside of wedlock and he spent the next eight years being called every kind of ridiculous uh, idiotic name in the book by the liberals. I mean, no politician wants to go near the single parent or single mom issue. I mean, but so we have this weird thing in society where the only things that ever matter can be discovered by the things that are never talked about but which are everywhere. And so there's this massive distraction, you know, the, like the mainstream media is saying they're like, a, they're like that kid in a Dickens novel who bumps into you so that the thief can steal your wallet. I mean, hey, what was that? Hey, some kid bumped into me. Hey, where's my wallet? I mean, the media is the stuff that keeps you distracted, like the, while they go through your bank account, monitor your Internet activity and sell off your off offspring. 
uh, like they're doing in Cyprus, where they've just taken 10% of people's bank accounts now. I mean, not even being subtle about it. smoothly <laughs> that's all right so uh you've probably toured the uh the world over the last few months since we last had you on uh what uh, interesting stops have you had uh pretty good ones actually i mean i was um the master of ceremonies at libertopia in san diego uh i did uh, a speech at the capitalism and morality seminar in vancouver i'm actually going to be debating the indomitable dr walter block uh, at the uh, Capitalism and Morality Seminar in Vancouver on the value of political action. So that should be quite um, exciting. I'm certainly looking forward to that. And uh, I'm going to, I just came back from Belize where I gave a speech uh, on the history of ethics at a um, Global Escape Hatch conference run by Bobby Casey. I'm going to be at Liberty in the Pines uh, in Nagadoches, I think it is. Bless you. <laughs> Texas. Uh, this coming weekend. And... Um, I'm going to be speaking at Rethinking at the Rethinking Everything conference run by Dana Martin in August. So uh, that's off the top of my head. There's a couple others floating around as well, but um, it's uh, it's been it's been great. It's really it's fantastic to see how many people are really getting interested in in this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Estefan, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm surprised here in my humble abode in Las Vegas that there's so many people interested in freedom. It's crazy that freedom is popular now. Oh, yeah, I'll be in Vegas, too. Sorry. <laughs> I'll be at um, uh, Freedom Fest, uh, sponsored by Laissez-Faire Books and uh, Jeffrey Tucker uh, at Las Vegas in, I think it's June, at Freedom Fest. So, um, yeah, even Vegas. But, of course, Vegas got hit so hard by the recession. And, you know, there seems to be a couple of key elements needed for great social change. Uh, economic hardship and emotional trauma uh, seem to be the two things that are the alchemy, I think, identified by Dr. Warren Farrell as being necessary for significant so- social change. And I think we have enough people hurting emotionally and financially now that some of the old answers are going to start tasting like, you know, four-day-old donut in their mouths, and uh, hopefully they'll start looking for some slightly more nutritious fare. California's hurting a lot worse than Las Vegas. I mean, we can argue about a, a lack of jobs, I suppose, but there's no state income taxes. The, the rents aren't as expensive. The cost of living is nowhere near as expensive as California. Yes, no, that's true, that's true, but uh, California has uh, the entertainment industry, and the entertainment industry has had, you know, from the days of of Nero and hurling Christians at some hungry lions, the entertainment industry has had a fine, fine tradition of fiddling while Rome burns and making sure that the masses are distracted from any essential issues by lots of shiny, loud, moving moving images. Uh, so, uh, So I think that has a big distortionary effect on the California. That's true. In fact, I believe that in the last budget, uh, Las Vegas got uh, a significant grant from the government to create a museum of neon lights. And that, 
uh, really just stagger the imagination six ways from Sunday. No, uh, well, you're, you're forgetting about the mob museum. We have a museum dedicated to the mob. <laughs> Is that right? Wow. Now, if you look at the average age of the people running the slots, you could really argue that the entirety of Las Vegas is a museum dedicated to the mob. <laughs> but that may be a little unkind. <laughs> you could say that. Oh, we got the Canada Hockey Heritage Museum here. So, hey. <laughs> oh, and Shania Twain. Oh, no, they're going to tear that one down. We did have the Shania Twain Center. Oh. Are they really tearing uh, that down? so bad for you. Yeah, actually... Um, it costs the city of Timmins three hundred thousand dollars a year to keep it running, and we weren't getting enough tourists. And there's a mine that is an open pit mine that is developing right beside it, and they bought the land and are going to uh, tear down the building. I'm not sure what they're doing with the museum itself. Uh, Shania has all her gold records and outfits and some other stuff there that she was keeping there, and she's actually come to visit a couple times. But uh, I don't know what's going to be happening with it now. It's really a tragic metaphor to have a huge gaping hole next to the Shania Twain Museum uh, simply because it, it's too accurate a reflection of her recent career choices. So um, that's really not, not what you want to have happen. It's like a Florida sinkhole opening up under some horrible Baptist church. So Simmons so. is actually built right on top of mine shafts, and we actually do have situations where there's a little berg outside of Tim's called Schumacher, and every year we get sinkholes there because they fill up these holes from the mine shafts with sand, and then the snow melts, the water runs, and it washes away all the sand. And then the next thing you know, the, the highway just caved in or the sidewalk just caved in. Or last summer, was it two summers ago, um, a whole lot just caved in right in the city of Timmins. There was another sinkhole where it almost swallowed a whole business. <laughs> are you wait wait? Are you telling me that with giant Swiss hole sinkholes, Timmins is not quite getting enough tourism? <laughs> I mean, unless you actually want to visit Hades, I can understand why that might not be on your first. And also in Timmins as well, you know, they have a lot of the, um, you know, those leashes that they put on kids that go sort of around them. You'll see them uh, a lot in Timmins, and it's not because they're afraid of the kids wandering off. They're really just afraid of them falling down a sinkhole, and they have to reel them back in like a carp. Yeah, wow. or getting picked up by the eagles or the bears in the playground, right? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's really, it's quite necessary. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not just for fear of, of them going across the street, but of them being grabbed by some giant hobbit-style eagle. Hey, I want to yeah, rein this in a little bit here. I had a question for you, Stefan. I want to get your opinion here. Uh, we heard that Cyprus yesterday, of course, is is snipping 10% off of everyone's bank accounts in, in their country. <sighs> Australia is next. I'm reading an article here from wakeupworld.com. <laughs> Australian government set to seize money from citizens' bank accounts. I guess they're looking about doing the same thing. <sighs> going to be a worldwide trend where the government it's just wonderful. gets to, to take 10% of everybody's savings? Yeah, 9.9%. Yeah, no, uh, if it's a business, it's higher than that. Isn't it supposed to be like 19% if it's a business or something like that? Or Well, no. In, 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 Cyprus, uh, in Cyprus, the last numbers that I heard, uh, I think they're still mulling this over, but 100 euros or more get hit at 9.9% and less than 100,000, uh, sorry, 100,000 euros or more, 9.9%, less than 100,000 euros is 6.75%. So, uh, and there's kind of, but, but I think it's, it's, it's completely wonderful. Um, I mean, I think that you really couldn't ask for better news as a freedom fighter 
because at least this is, you know, it's just a series of nails in the coffin of the state. And the one delightful thing about this, first of all, they're not doing that slimy, you know, uh, eel-like thing where they just pull money out of your bank account through inflation, where you still have the same numbers of, of currency, but it's just worth a whole lot less. So at least the euro has prevented countries from um, inflating their way out of debt. So this is a more honest cash grab, which is wonderful. Because, you know, when the government just steals stuff through inflation, it's really hard for people to track that stuff. But when they basically just elbow you in the head and take your wallet, it's so much easier to explain what the government's all about when they're not hiding it anymore. It's just, it's fantastic. So now we don't have to deal with people who say, we need the government to protect our property. And if we don't have the government, who's going to protect our property? At least that argument is going to fall by the wayside, and we're just one step closer to the light. Yeah, let's well, I'm glad we have the government taking 6.75 of my money because if it was somebody else taking 10%, uh, that would be much worse. So I'm glad the government's only taking 6.75. And, and of course, this is a complete trial balloon, right? They're, they're just doing it on Cyprus, which is like point point. 5% of the European economy, they're just doing it. And Cyprus isn't even in that bad a shape. Their unemployment is only 12%, which is like half of that of uh, like Greece or, I mean, Greece, the good heavens, the, the youth unemployment is almost 60%. It's mad. And 38 of the other percent are employed by the government. Yeah, and their debt to GDP is very low. Their debt to GDP is only it's only in the 80 percentages uh, compared to over 100 for the US and, you know, 200 plus for Japan. So, uh, it's not that necessary. I mean, obviously, Cyprus lost a lot of money, I think four and a half billion euros on the Greek debt restructuring. So they obviously got hit pretty hard, but their economy is not doing that bad. So this is just a trial balloon. They're just seeing what they can get away with, but uh, they're just completely undermining the propaganda that people are swallowing. And that just shows you how desperate it is and how much joyfully let us do a mad Michael Flatley style, no arms moving dance across the stage because we're near the end of the belly of the beast. So yay, yay, I can see the light over the horizon. It's like that's that close encounters light. <laughs> But let me ask you this, though. Say they they seize 10% of, of, uh, and they just make it a flat rate, 10% seizure of all bank accounts in the United States. How many days would the U.S. government stay open with, with all the money they seized? That's a good question. Well, but it's it's it doesn't matter. I mean, that's not what they're interested in right now. I guarantee you that. The, the, the system, when it can no longer last the length of a current politician's career, then it becomes a complete feeding frenzy. And so what's happening right now, it's kind of like an Indiana Jones movie where the door is coming down, the big giant stone doors are coming down, and everybody knows, well, we can't stay in the treasure room, the door's coming down, reality's coming upon us, the numbers, the mathematical numbers are aligning the way that they have been expected to, and it's going to end before my career does. So now it's just a mad grab fest. They're not trying to keep the system going. They're doing like the Chinese uh, guys do towards the end of communism, or the Russian oligarchs did towards the end of communism. They're just pillaging the treasury because the system can't last i mean if the system can last then okay we'll just you know we'll take it slow but i mean this is just the, the end times for the status paradigm i think yeah grab what you can and to each their own it seems yeah i mean if everybody's economy collapses at the same time then it makes it a lot easier to bring in a one currency mm. yeah i think we I, should go the barter way the, the economy never collapses for the rich, right? 
I mean, it's not going to collapse for the rich. I mean, they're going to have their money. They're going to convert it into gold. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they start looking under the banks in Europe and find a whole bunch of fool's gold or pyrite instead of the actual stuff. I mean, this stuff has been pillaged senselessly for, well, senselessly for the general population with entire purpose by the politicians. It's been pillaged for generations. And so they're going to be fine. I mean, the, the, the technology we've developed isn't going to vanish. This isn't like the fall of Rome where you go into a dark ages. The stuff isn't going to vanish. Uh, and the rich always do well. I mean, it's the same rich guys at the top of the Russian system now as it was, the same type of guys as it was before the fall of communism. I mean, they, they, the upper classes just continue to do what they're doing. Um, but uh, what, what is true is that the idea that the government is run by and for the people uh, is a lie that is really having a tough time finding a shadow to hide in these days. Yeah. I think people are scared and don't know what to do because what do you do when there's no government and it crumbles? Who's in charge? Who's going to be control? And is there going to be major... <laughs> Can I use the word anarchy? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I guess you could use the stereotypical word anarchy, uh, but um, I, you may have a little bit more sympathy for the, the poor, tender general population than I do. But, um, I mean, God, it serves them right. It serves them right. Look, I mean, as somebody who's been banging my head against statist, marshmallow-bellied indifference for 30-plus years... Um, you know, it's like it's I feel like a doctor. I feel like a doctor who said to some guy or, or to a whole bunch of his patients, listen, man, you really got to stop smoking. It's really bad for you. Listen, man, you got to lose some weight. Listen, man, you got to do some exercise. And they're all like, you're crazy. That's terrible. Smoking is good for you. And I'm like, here's all the charts, man. Here's the data. Here's the lung scans. I mean, look at this thing. This is right. And they're like, no, exercise will kill you, man. And I love my drinks and I love my smokes. And they, and they just they don't listen. And they mock and attack you for telling you. And then they get sick. And, you know, you hate being right all the time when you're a freedom fighter. You just hate being right. I mean, I wish I was wrong. No, don't you? Because it means, you know, because we, the, the reality is that they smoke and we get sick, right? Because <laughs> we're all in the same lifeboat. Um, so I don't have that much sympathy for the people in, in like, the people in Cyprus are all like, oh, this is terrible. I can't believe the government is taking this. It's like, come on, people. I mean, this has been talked about for hundreds of years, that this is what the government does, that this is what it's all about. I know you all went to a godforsaken government education where they programmed you to be a good little citizen bot and not complain and worship the boot that crushes your skull and all that. I know that. But there is this little thing called the Internet where you can get some slightly different information than what you were programmed with, and you kind of have a responsibility to look things up if you call yourself a citizen of this world or a compatriot of the species. So I, I have a little less sympathy for people uh, just because every time I've talked to people, for the most part, uh, they generally react with fear, shock, horror, and attack. And so now these, um, uh, these vicious people are now reaping the fruit of their own, report, uh, of their own um, uh, plantings. And uh, I just can't quite find it in my heart to feel a lot of sympathy for people who've advocated robbery their whole lives who now get stolen from. But do you think this this ten percent or uh, six point seven five percent takeaway of of economy? Do you think this wakes people up in Cyprus? Or it, uh, I, I I'm curious if that even happened here, where the government shut the banks down for three days and they took ten percent from everybody. Would they smile and nod because Obama's the president? Yeah, really. Uh, congressional approval rating is a six percent. And that's mostly just Congress and their illegitimate children. So <laughs> I don't think it's really – there's very little that, um, that people are finding positive in government these days. I mean, and that's the great good news about things. 
uh, is that the people in general are not clamoring for big new government programs. It's Congress's fault. And in a sense it is because they let Barry get away with everything, but it's like they don't associate the president with doing anything wrong because Barry just puts it on Congress and, and just he has the smell of vision so, and the teleprompter, <laughs> so he, he has whatever he wants. No, but uh, I think Obama has also been another one of these heaven-sent angels for voluntarists and for freedom fighters because, I mean, you really couldn't have a bigger, you know, cultural, racial, historical divide than that between George Bush the Younger and Barack Obama. I mean, they were literally as different as day and night. And, and yet the system did exactly the same thing. You know, you change the hood ornament on the car, it doesn't really matter in terms of making the driver go one way or another. So I hope that people aren't imagining, and I think a lot of people have given up on the idea that changing presidents is going to change the world. And that's, you know, again, that's a great step in the right direction. You know, people who don't listen to reason, people who don't learn from reason and evidence have to learn by bitter experience. And we've been shouting reason and evidence from the rooftops for decades. People haven't listened. They fought against us. They've mocked us. They've attacked us. They've derided us. And so, sorry, you know, if you don't listen to me when I say you need to quit drinking, then you're just going to have to hit bottom. You know, I'm sorry. That's just the way of the world. Exactly. You're absolutely right. We, we live in a society now where they're telling us that it sounds like already that the 2016 presidential uh, is going to be Hillary with Michelle Obama as the vice president. And then on mm -hmm. the other side, we'll have Jeb Bush and somebody else. Okay, so, so if the two women get in, uh, again, that's a huge change, uh, supposedly, right? So if the two women get in, uh, whenever there's a change that's considered to be for the better in American politics, in all politics, really, what that is used as, as a, is an excuse to do worse things, right? So, for instance, uh, social spending and, and spending on entitlement programs goes up faster uh, under um, when the, the Republicans are in power than when the Democrats are in power. And so the reason that the imperialism and the drone attacks and uh, the war on terror and Guantanamo and all of that has escalated under Barack Obama is because he, people think he's a better guy, that he's a different guy, and therefore they can get away with more because people's suspicions are lulled. Like, where the hell is the anti-war movement since George Bush left power? I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. There were people charging up and down the streets, uh, burning effigies, shouting into the very skies, blistering megaphones in two with the force of their passion. And now there's like three pigeons and a donut wrapper where all of these uh, people used to be protesting these endless godforsaken wars. Yeah, she is, because now the left guy is in, and so the left, I mean, this is, people are ridiculous. They should wake up and spit at themselves in the mirror every single morning. They weren't against war. They were against some pampered rich Texan boy, and now that their guy's in power, suddenly the war urgency has completely vanished. It's unbelievably hypocritical. If you're against war, you should be more against Obama than ever that you were against Bush. Uh, and, uh, but, but they put these people in just so that they can lull people's sensibilities. So if you get two women in, then people are going to go, oh, great, okay, so women in. Oh, women have a special way of knowing. They're much nicer. Oh, if women ran the world, there'd be no war, which means that there can be even more predations, even more destruction, because people's defenses will be lowered even more. Wow. Yeah, I could see how that would work, because we are all conditioned to have these preconceived notions about certain aspects of, of society. Just like with my use of anarchy, when you told me it was that a different term altogether. Yeah, well said. Good point. 
So I don't it, think it has anything to do with men or women. Just to a side note, I think it's all an individual thing because I can find men just as emotional as women. But I see where I don't stereo- think that's where he was going on that, Tammy. No. I think where he was going was the fact that Hillary the is is po- possibly more popular than even Barry Satoro Davis. Oh yeah, and yeah, I so you'll have that. people come out of the woodwork and say, "I'm glad we're getting rid of Barry and we're going to have Hillary." Yeah, yeah, but then already, again, the mindset of you know, the war to get. millions of people in the U.S. on this. In order for the war to continue, Barack Obama had to get into power because they had to nullify the biggest anti-war protest the world had ever seen. In order for the war to continue, a liberal had to get into power to defuse the anger of the left in their supposed anti-war activities. If Barack Obama hadn't gotten into power, the wars would probably be literally over by now. So, of course, the military-industrial complex put massive amounts of resources in Goldman Sachs and all the other people profiting from the disassembly of innocent human beings in far old lands. They all put their resources into the left-wing guy because that diffuses the anti-war movement and lets them continue their vulture-like picking of the bones of a former civilization unmolested. Right. That's absolutely true. Yeah, but at some point, though, the war is going to change, in my opinion. Instead of being in the Middle East, they're going to they're gonna come home, and then I think, personally, we'll probably see a civil war here, uh, I would say, somewhere between 2016 and 2020. Or sooner? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, this is like the, the British Empire... Uh, was used, as most empires are used, as training grounds in foreign countries to train an entire class of citizens to be excellent at brutalizing their own population. Right, you, you send out these young men who are heavily propagandized, who have usually come from terrible households, and you, you carve out what is left of their souls and you sell it to the highest bidder at, uh, at Halliburton, and then you bring the back these empty-eyed zombies who are addicted to ridiculous amounts of SSRIs and painkillers and all this kind of stuff, and they will do whatever the people tell them to. The war is in preparation for the suppression at home. Uh, and that's just another reason why it's going to continue, because they need to bring these people back and then keep everyone in line when they start rummaging through their bank accounts. Yeah. That brings me to a question. I was just thinking this the other day. When a person gets a criminal charge and they're going to be put in jail, do they still have the option of joining the forces or going to jail? Is that still applicable? I think for some, yeah. I know that they've lowered the standards a lot because they were just running out of uh, people to uh, to put into these death squads. So uh, they have lowered the standards a lot. I'm not sure. I think that the, the you can go into the military instead is still working there. I also know, of course, that a lot of drug gangs uh, like to go into the military uh, to get trainings on weapons and tactics, particularly for urban combat, which is what they have to specialize in. And, of course, the fact is that it is a huge amount of urban combat that's going on not so much in Afghanistan, but certainly in Iraq. And, of course, that's fantastic training for what may be necessary at home. Yeah, now isn't that terrifying, too, to think that someone who probably murdered somebody and had the choice to either go to jail or go into the military actually made it into general status and is now controlling the military? Wouldn't that terrify you? Like, how do they monitor that for quality control in those situations? Is there a mental test that they do to make sure sociopaths aren't in control of big guns? aren't in control, <laughs> I think there's a personality test to make sure that they are in control. I mean, you want sociopaths there if you're like a nasty person because they don't hesitate at um, uh, at taking these kinds of, uh, uh, you know, killing people and so on. I mean, you, you I think you really do want to have these uh, sociopaths in charge of, of the military so that you don't have to worry with that nasty little uh, hiccup called empathy. 
Let me let me read you something that somebody's. Yeah, let me just uh, um, let me just realize, read you something that somebody posted um, because a military chaplain who was uh, telling someone telling a soldier who was depressed that don't worry, once you get back into the front line, killing Iraqis will make you happier. Ah, a true man of God. So this person wrote. Uh, this person wrote on my um, uh, on my message board. Um, he said, "I went to basic." training at Fort Benning a couple of years ago now, I went, underwent very similar events as I realized how deep the cult of death and death worship is within the military and woke up to the inherent immorality of it all. My first pep talk from a first sergeant entailed the gruesome and uncensored details of his first three kills and how it changed him and how he loved the military because he gets paid to kill, whereas out in society they would have to put him in prison since he loved it so much. It was truly heart-stopping and disgusting for me at the time as my delusions of honor and being a hero slowly evaporated and I began to realize the error of my thinking and the massive error of joining and realizing I was stuck. Horrifying, to say the least. So, I mean, yeah, the people in the military understand it. In, in the free world, I'd be in, in jail. But here, I get paid for killing. They like it. Yeah, you're rewarded for it. Yeah, I had the option of uh, being military. I started out air cadet, uh, turned into a rebel without the cause at 16, and I was very happy with that. But uh, my daughter, too, also joined my same squadron in, in the air cadets, and they were actually calling her up to be militia, and I was terrified. I did not want her to do anything militia, because that's when the war in Iraq was, was happening. And, uh, oh, yeah, I was so glad she didn't, but I totally get exactly where the mindset is being involved in that aspect of the basic part of military for all those many years as as a youngster and I did get to do the bases and talk to a lot of troops and and stuff so yeah I do have a really good inside intuition of what's really going on out there that's why I had to ask the question and to see what your thought was on that thank you well I hate to be the bearer but uh, I think that's the way it is no, it wasn't the hate to be the bearer. You just confirmed it pretty much what I've always thought myself. But I wish you were closer to me because we'd have some really good talks over coffee, let me tell you. Well, tea. I bet, I bet. <laughs> well, let me bring up one topic here before it's time for a break, and I'm sure Stefan doesn't want to hang out with us all night here. Uh, just recently, over the last few hours, I guess a hacker started distributing con uh, confidential memos uh, regarding Hillary on Benghazi and Libya. Ooh. Uh, is this going to do anything? Because uh, the average person the, doesn't watch news. Uh, the average person still say? thinks Benghazi's a guy. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I'm not know joking. I, I, I know you know I'm not joking. Oh, yeah, I really believe you. That's not the first time I heard that. But, uh, yeah, like, like you said, I would like to know what the contents are before I could make a, a comment on, on that. This is the guy, um, the, the American diplomat who got uh, killed, is that right? And then it turned out there'd been massive amounts of warnings beforehand, and uh, the State Department, I guess of whom Hillary is in charge, did, did nothing to protect, even though he was very much saying, look, uh, there's going to be an attack, there's all these problems, and they originally blamed it on some YouTube video. Uh, and uh, then it turned out that it was uh, actually a terrorist attack that had been forewarned about, and uh, then then she lied about it and all that, right? I was just saying that the guy that made that video is still 
in prison even though he did nothing wrong. Right, but but this is the issue, right? And then she was holed up in front of Congress, and she basically said, well, what does it matter what happened beforehand? The fact is that someone is dead. And, I mean, as a lawyer, the whole point is it does kind of matter what happened beforehand. I mean, otherwise you'd throw out every single uh, murder accusation. <laughs> what does it matter? The fact is someone's dead, and we can't change that. Um, so this is just the kind of nonsense. I mean, uh, your intent as a criminal is essential, uh, to your conviction and to your sentencing, and she knows that, of course, as a lawyer. But suddenly, when she's on the stand, intentions and what happened beforehand doesn't matter. Uh, and uh, this is just the usual flipperoo of ethics that you see whenever uh, the the ethical rules inflicted by the ruling class are even remotely considered to be turned back on them. Suddenly, it becomes a completely different story, and you're ridiculous for asking for prior history and intent and forewarning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're the ro- uh, boat rocker. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not going to do her. No, it's not going to do her any harm because uh, it's not going to do her any harm because. Sorry, it's not going to do her any harm because. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't hear anything of that. It all broke up. Can you try again? Say that again, what you were trying to say? Who, me? Uh, either one of you, you were both talking over each other and it was just I'll a go matter ahead. of. I'll, static. I'll the floor. Go ahead, Stefan. Oh, yeah, it's not, it's not going to do her any harm because most people have no idea why they vote for people. I mean, they just vote for them for whatever reason. Oh, he's good looking or, uh, you know, he gives a good speech or, you know, he's fine with a teleprompter. I mean, they don't have any idea. I mean, just look at the interviews with the average voter that you can find all over YouTube. I mean, uh, you, you might as well have deaf people judging American Idol. Uh, I mean, it's really close to, to the reality of American politics. And the reality is, of course, that... It's not a voluntary situation. I mean, in a, in a world or in a country where Elliot Spitzer, who, you know, whored and coked his way across most of New York State, can get his own TV show, uh, where Bill Clinton is now an elder statesman after playing hide the cigar with his own personal geishas in the White House while on the phone with the King of Jordan you really can't imagine that anything can harm anyone in America. It's astounding. Good point. Astounding is an understatement. So, uh, Stefan, tell us about your radio show before you leave us. Well, uh, I must correct you, not quite a radio show, although I am on the radio and I was on uh, TV recently a couple of times, but um, it's uh, freedomainradio.com. It's uh, all free, no commercials, because I have the business sense of a good can of cheese string. And um, uh, I've got a documentary coming out uh, in about a month, uh, I hope, um, which is going to be called Modestly Truth, uh, which is really examining the moral roots of the problems we face in society, stopping to, like, trying to avoid looking at the surface stuff and really going deep to the root of how we're violating the non-aggression principle and property rights all the time. So people can check out. It's uh, youtube.com forward slash freedomainradio, freedomainradio.com. Check out the podcast. I've got, uh, I think, probably about 10 or 12 free books uh, up there, which people can download if they want to listen to them in audiobook or they could read them uh, on PDF and so on. So, yeah, lots of free stuff. If people like the show, I certainly do appreciate some donations to keep the uh, the coal in the furnace, so to speak. But uh, that's uh, that's what I have to offer the world. Beautiful. I'm looking forward to that. I will definitely be checking those out. Until we meet again, Stefan, it was a pleasure having you join us today. 
Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I'm, 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 so, I'm sure you're happy that we weren't in studio because then you'd have to be getting some windshield wiper to take the spittle off your forehead. But I appreciate the topics. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to rant in your general direction. Thank you, Seth. All right. And, awesome. uh, hey, at least we have Freedom Fest. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See you then.